1: I'm Christian Blood, KTSA News, and let's get things started with the Jack
2: Riccardi Show. All right, now, Christian, good afternoon, first of all. Good afternoon to you as well. I know that yesterday I said, man, I can't understand why all the television networks are wrapped up in this Murdoch trial. Mm -hmm. And now I have a new question. Okay. I, I am... Starting to pay a little more attention to it because I'm just, I'm trying to understand what I'm missing or what, 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 what isn't working (laughs) for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, mean, you know, normally if you're not into something, you just look away, but in our business, you kind of say, okay, I need to figure out what's the, so first of all, do you think this probably is good for ratings? Because there's not a lot going on in the news right now.
1: Boy, I'm glad you said that. Because see, this reminds me of—I forget how long it was, maybe seven, eight months ago. Remember the the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial? Yes, yeah. Now that yeah. wasn't quite felt as serious. The same way about that. Yeah, yeah, I I made a point to ignore this for more than a week, and then yeah. colleagues kept talking about it, kept talking about yeah. it. I'm like, okay, I yeah. ended up a junkie with this. This is—I oh, don't know.
2: Uh, I'm not going to be a Murdoch junkie. <laughs> well. I, they I, were more interesting people. I mean, you we knew them. We we heard of them before, and, and at least I, him. And know.
1: I also think there was something more relatable with the death yes. situation because you have a lot yeah. more domestic violence. Than people. The people, sure, a, the average person can't relate to being a part of a murder investigation.
2: But here's what's here's what's interesting. Now I'm finding maybe this is what I missed in the first place. And 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 please bear with me if I'm stating the obvious because I'm late to the party. But apparently, this dude. His strategy is to come across as the worst person, but he didn't kill. Mm, he's copping to everything. I don't know if you've been following it. He's admitted to, er- he, he sunk the Titanic. He derailed that train. <laughs> he, he stole money from paraplegics. I mean, he's done everything. He's like, I'm a really bad, he's telling the jury, I'm a really bad person, but I didn't kill. That's kind of. It's like an that, interesting.
1: I would never have thought to do that. It's kind of like that old expression: "You're so fired, you're
2: rehired." Yes, I mean it's like it's like he's daring them. He's like he's saying, yeah. "Hate me all you want for the other stuff, but I didn't do
1: this." I just question whether or not people are. To the point where they're just about desensitized to this kind of story, because we get, what, two or three of these each year, the the, the boyfriend yeah, or yeah. the husband, and, and you kind of know who did it, but how are they going to prove it? We've seen it so many times before. I just don't know if this is that
2: unique. I don't know. Well, and, you know, in fairness to the networks, I would think they have pretty good data. They must have a pretty good idea of what people are responding to. So if they're all wrapped up in this, I'm thinking it's because they know that, it's drawing, you know, numbers. Or I, it still doesn't really work for me.
1: Or Jack, you are right at the beginning. Slow news day.
2: There you go. Slow, and it's cheap. I mean, it, it's easy to cover. You That's assign right. one reporter. You flip mm. on the 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 courtroom camera feed. You don't have to have anything else going on. It's it's not like you're having to send a team of correspondents to do the Olympics or something like that. Uh, and then Don Cooper, our producer, made an interesting observation. We were just talking about this off the air. And Don, you were saying you think this is like. Um, because this this family is so dysfunctional. I mean, not only is the guy saying, I'm a horrible human being, right. <laughs> I'm just not right. a murderer, but he also today said, well, he thinks the fact that his dead son drove a boat drunkenly and killed somebody, this was years ago, meant that the murders are revenge for that. So he's blaming one of the victims. Mm. You for know, the murders, you know quite a bit about this for someone who's not following. Exactly, it. <laughs> but I go a mile wide and inch it, deep. At but least you the,
3: made the point that this is like a TLC show. I think so. At least with Johnny Depp, you knew who the characters were. The right. trial, as far as these people, we have no clue or idea who they are. But I, you and I were talking off air, and I, yeah. I just think this is the culture we're in. This is what we've yeah. adapted to. TLC, uh, the TLC programming. I mean, every show basically has families that are so dysfunctional, but we tune well, people, in. I don't, yeah. I don't tune in. But the yeah. ratings are obviously good enough yeah. to, to yeah. have these programs on to uh, uh, allow people to go into people's lives that they have no clue or have no idea who they are, but they're kind of in this voristic thing, and we're watching this 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 dysfunction happening. Yeah, in our eyes, and I guess uh, it's kind of like watching a program on TLC or E Entertainment. I I think that's kind of. And you
2: see, tight. I can't watch those because I I'm not curious about a person that weighs a thousand pounds. I just feel bad for them. At least, with, I, and I feel, I would feel bad watching them, even though I know they put themselves in that yeah. situation. It, it doesn't feel right. I feel like I'm staring
3: at somebody when I watch those shows. And I guess we can all say that it all somewhat began with the Kardashians, and and just. Yeah. Yeah. And just blew up from there, and now there's programming uh of shows similar to what you watch, as far as this Murdoch family, Uh the trial. So and, CNN and, and Fox, this through.
2: is their, this is like their little people show, I or think, their. There you thousand, go. My thousand pound life. Wasn't show? there a family
3: okay. I think uh, called the Crisley family or something? Yeah. With this yeah. real rich white prison, family, right? and they're in prison yeah. for tax evasion <laughs> and everything else. And people were tuning into that, and I. I, I checked it out one time. I I was kind of curious because people were talking about it. Yeah. And I found it boring. I was wondering what makes these people so interesting. But, uh, it's the, the, I think it's just the dysfunction that we are are, uh, viewing. Yeah. It just makes us feel better about ourselves.
2: Don's going to take the show from here because I I have nothing else. Uh, that is a really great point. So we're just going to let Don run this. I, no, I, I, I think, I think you're right on. And I think, I think Christian's right on. And, and I, Yeah, I mean, I I paid a little more attention today because I am kind of fascinated by the defense. I'm going to see how this works. I mean, let's see how this goes. I I I, I think the guy did it from what I can tell, but if he's able to sell this to the jury that look, I'm a terrible person. I just didn't do this. That that's an eye opener for me. I mean, that's you, normally you think if you were on trial, right? If you would, if you're on trial for your life, you would be going out of your way to show what a you know, pure as the driven snow person you were. This guy is like I did this and I did that and I stole out of the tip jar and I don't rewind the tapes when I bring him back to Blockbuster. I mean he's got it all he's he's admitted to everything but the thing he's on trial for. We'll see if that works. Um speaking of trial, I guess you could say the other big trial that's going on right now, it's the it's the trial in the court of public opinion. Is about Pete Buttigieg. I mean, how, how does Pete Buttigieg keep his job? That's a rhetorical question. You don't have to answer it. I mean, it, it, isn't it clear that he just has no idea what he's doing? He has no idea what he's talking about. I'm not saying it's his fault that the train went off the track, but he's been a he's been a mess. the The way he keeps his job is that if something happened and he was let go or he resigned, the replacement would be worse. Remember Jen Psaki? You didn't like her. Are we doing better now? No. And they're also keeping him, let's face it, presidents don't fire cabinet secretaries. That's a thing of the past. But they're also keeping him because they think he's the future of the Democratic Party because he checks some boxes in terms of identity politics. You know, he, he's like that guy at work that everybody knows is a tool, but there's something that is going to keep him from being fired, right? There's always somebody in every organization, like everybody knows, but nothing can happen. And I think that's what's going on with him. Uh, and that's our question on the JR poll today. Do you think he should keep his job? Uh, that daily, uh, caller reporter. Uh, Savannah Garza is her name. She caught up with him again uh, uh, for another uh, walking question and answer session uh, yesterday when he was uh, in uh, East Palestine. Take a listen to this, cut number two.
0: What do you say to residents? say you're too little to uh, Well,
4: uh, I say that we're with residents right now. And, secretary, uh, we're going to be here before as we were in the first hours. Why since? did it take you three and weeks, then, you go to judge? My to the first, Well, we're the saying first
0: it's too little question. too late because it took you three weeks to get here, and then you used the I'm excuse the that, it was, that it was, oh, was there's a 1,000 train derailments in the USA every single year. Is that okay to you as the Department of Transportation
4: Secretary? I can't tell what the question is, on the way to answer a lot The, of the question is, do
0: you think that you've done right a good now. job as the, uh, you know,
3: Secretary of the Department of Transportation?
4: Yes, I'm proud of what FRA and FIMSA have done here from day one, from the first minutes, or at least. Least the first hours of this response. What I'm really proud of is the community that I saw here. You've got federal agencies, you've got local first responders, you got states, but most of all, you got a community that's been through a lot.
2: That
3: mm. I
4: think is pretty frustrated with people Notice trying the to take in here. It goes from being situation.
2: about him to aren't these people great? Look at these people, aren't they terrific? Boy, they're they're the salt of the earth, aren't they? He he is. He's he's he is lame. He, and he nobody runs from a reporter like him um these these guys used to run toward cameras and microphones now they're running away from them the other thing that's interesting about this to me and I'm not, it's not surprising and you're not surprised I'm not surprised um how desperately they're trying to make this about trump and the the angle they're using is that trump when trump was president there was um some move toward, um, equipping these, uh, rail cars with a certain kind of brake, ECP it's called. And, um, they're trying to say because Trump rolled back the regulation, uh, these, uh, rail cars were less safe and therefore this accident happened. But here's the chairwoman of the NTSB. Her name is Jennifer Homendi. And she's saying, no, none of of that is true. Cut number three.
0: For this investigation and for this derailment, ECP brakes would not have prevented the derailment. The wheel bearing failed on car number 23. So even with ECP brakes, the derailment would have occurred, the fire would have ensued, and the five vinyl chloride tank cars would still have to be vented and
2: burned. She kind of sounds like she knows what she's talking about, right? I mean, more than him. So, but it's got to be about Trump. Sorry, Joy Behar. The, the people of East Palestine did not bring this on themselves, as you, uh, so, uh, weirdly put it yesterday. So, uh, should Secretary Pete keep his job? Um, I was thinking today they, they really can't give him a pink slip because if they tried to, that Sam Brinton would come along and just steal it. So, like, um but what do you think i mean i think i think he'll keep his job and i think uh, you shouldn't be hoping otherwise because they're not going to replace him with somebody better it's all identity politics you know so he's a gay white guy so they just have to check off some other boxes if they replace him i mean that's what they're doing none of these people are are the most qualified person to do what they're doing but they are the most qualified at Looking diverse or achieving equity or, 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 or whatever it is. I, I, I think it's important to remember that, um, all he had to do, all he had to do was understand what had happened. And he has people he can ask, right? I mean, it's the department of transportation. So get briefed, get your butt down there to that town fast. Regurgitate the, the, the talking points that you were briefed on and show that you care. And, and they say he's a genius. They say he's a brilliant guy, but he couldn't do that. I'm not even talking about the, the nuts and bolts of transportation policy or rail safety. He's not even smart enough to, to have looked like he knew what the hell was going on and cared about it. And he's running away from this, this daily caller reporter like she's, you know, Got a a hammer and sickle. 210-599-5555. And we were talking about the Murdoch case as well. Um, This guy's strategy apparently is to um, show that he is guilty of everything else but the thing he's on trial for. We'll see if that works. So yesterday we were talking about that uh, data that says 63% of men under 30 are single but only a third of women in that age group are single. And people were talking about why they think that is. And I was reading some more about it today. And there was a psychologist who says, young men are watching a lot of porn. Now, I don't think we talked about that yesterday. But his point, and I'm going to make it as delicately as I can, is that if they're watching a lot of porn, they're... um, Their needs are being met without having to go out. I mean, that's, that is sad, but that might be, that might also be true. That might also be true. Um, another, uh, psychologist, the expectations of men are rising in the minds of women. Women are starting to expect more and men are not rising to those expectations. Uh, the numbers show that men are more lonely than women. L- listen to this. In the early 1990s, 55% of men had six or more close friends. Last year, that was 25%. 15% of men say they have no close personal friendships. I don't know. That's weird. I Obviously, I'm not a product of this generation, but um, I always thought, I'm probably going to get in trouble for saying this. I'm going to say it. I always thought men made friends much more easily than women did. And it was easier for men to be friends with each other. Men don't typically have falling, falling out, fallings out, falling outs. Men don't typically break up with their friends. That's what I'm trying to say. Like once guys are friends, they just stay friends. There's not usually anything that can offend or, you know, it's, it's, it, it, it's rare. It's rare that guy friends just, just drop each other. But in my experience, just observing the women I know, it seems like they do have a little more drama and a little more, um, there are more breakups. So if the numbers show that women are making and keeping friends and men aren't even making them, that's, that's really quite a turnaround. My experience, anyway. 210 599 5555. Uh, this was interesting. Uh, it's crazy. I don't think this has any chance of working. There's a woman on trial in Florida for, uh, murder. She was in an Uber, and she got into a fight with another woman and shot her. Her name is Natalia Harrell. This happened last year, so she was in this. And the thing is on video. I mean, she did it. It's there was a camera inside the Uber. So she was having a dispute with this woman. Um, they're yelling and arguing at each other with each other. It's on camera. And then she pulls a gun out of her purse and shoots her. Her lawyer, guy named, uh, uh, what is his name here? Well, anyway, her lawyer says she should be released because she's pregnant and her unborn baby is innocent. There is, there is no charge against the baby. And so the lawyer, a guy named William Norris, is arguing that they must release Natalia Harrell and her unborn baby because otherwise it's the illegal detention of an innocent person. And I don't know what they're teaching in the law schools these days, but that sounds crazy to me. I mean, I know there have been pregnant people in prison before. Pregnant people, listen to me. (laughs) It's getting to me. Pregnant women in prison before. But, you know, just let them go. That's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. But that's that's what he's arguing. Sounds like she maybe needs a better lawyer. Maybe she needs the guy that's on trial in South Carolina. Because he's a lawyer, right? Yeah. So, anyway, they're uh, they're trying that out for size, and we'll see what happens. Uh, the fatal encounter was caught on video. Several people inside a rideshare. They begin arguing. She opens fire. Uh, she killed a woman named Gladys uh, Borcella. She's been charged with second degree murder. Now, her lawyer says because she's pregnant, the baby is being detained unconstitutionally, and she needs to be let out. Since she's eight months pregnant, so the baby's getting out soon anyway, right? What do you think about this? So, we're into the season of Lent. Ash Wednesday uh, saw a Catholic prayer app called Hallow make it to number three on the App Store charts. This prayer app called Hallow was bigger than Google. Spotify, Netflix, TikTok, Instagram made it up to number three. It's only been around a few years. It was started by some Notre Dame college students. It's only been around a few years. Millions of downloads in over 150 countries, Uh, and they are just blown away. To be top five in the app store, Is that's a big, big thing. Usually that's only, you know, apps everybody knows, household name kind of apps. They made it to number three. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. The, 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 the legal stuff, I, I'm not a lawyer. I'm just sort of fascinated by it. This lawyer in Florida is trying to get his client out of prison because she's pregnant, and he's saying you can't uh, detain an unborn baby. Isn't it interesting how unborn babies are people and have rights one-minute and then the next minute, they don't have anything, and they're, it's just a condition, and it's just a clump of cells, and it's really interesting how that changes from minute to minute. Your head spins; you can't keep up, right? So now, in this argument, this is a a person with rights. Hmm. You don't say. Who knew? The other day, we were talking about. Um, the actor and comedian Richard Belzer. Do you remember this? He passed away. He was 78. He's of course become famous for playing detective John Munch on, uh, Law and Order and Homicide and had a whole second career basically depicting this fictional detective. But before that, he had had a great, a great run really as a stand up comic. I mean, a top, you know, an A list stand up comic worked with Saturday Night Live. Uh, did a lot of things, had a, had a great career, uh, was living in re- sort of semi retirement in, in France. He passed away the other day. And we mentioned that one of the other things he got into in his life was the Kennedy assassination. He became like a lot of people do who are not, um, officially involved in it. Uh, he became fascinated by and really obsessed by the Kennedy assassination. And that's something that I've always been interested in, uh, as well. And, and I've read everything I can get my hands on. And, um, so he wrote a book, uh, some years ago called Hit List, an in depth investigation into the mysterious deaths of witnesses to the Kennedy assassination. So I ordered the book. When he died, I ordered the book. It came right away. I read it right away. I have to be honest with you. I, thought it would be kind of like cashing in on his name, like it wouldn't be a very good book, but they figured, well, we can throw his name on it, people know who he is, and we'll sell a lot of books. It it was a best-selling book, and now that I've read it, I can tell you, Richard Belzer was the real deal on this topic. I mean, this book is crazy, and... I, I won't recommend it to you unless you are into this topic. Okay. You, you should not read this book if you're only casually interested because it's, it's, it's kind of, uh, it's deep and it goes into the weeds. I don't mean deep like philosophically deep. I mean, it's, it's kind of, um, it goes very, very into minute details and arcane details and things that if you're not fascinated by the topic, you would not want to stick with it. But anyway, the premise of the book is that um, it's really not so much about who killed Kennedy or trying to say who killed Kennedy. It doesn't have a theory. What it says is um, an, abnormal, an abnormally high number of people in the you know, years following the Kennedy assassination met with unnatural and suspicious deaths. And they document about 50 or 60 people in this book, ranging from people you have heard of before to people you've never heard of before, and give they give you an encapsulation of here's what how they died, here's what the official version of their death is. And if they don't believe it, if the author, uh, the authors, because he wrote it with another guy, if Belzer and the other author don't believe it, then they tell you what they think happened. And and they base that on a lot of, it's a heavily researched and footnoted book. But listen to this, the odds of 70 unnatural deaths out of approximately 1,400 witnesses happening in a 15-year period is one in 714 million, trillion, trillion. (laughs) Um, I mean, I've never heard of any odds like that. It's hard to even say how unlikely that is. So they talk about, you know, they start with Lee Harvey Oswald and just how unbelievable it would be that, that this guy would be as he has been presented to us. They look at all of the uh, eyewitnesses that d- that did not think he was the one that shot the Dallas police officer, uh, who did not see him in the sniper's perch. Uh, there are people that saw him in Dallas on the day of the assassination in other parts of the city, nowhere near the Texas School Book Depository. Uh, they talk about what really went on with his defection to the Soviet Union, and a lot of people think that Lee Harvey Oswald didn't defect to the Soviet Union, but that he was sent as a defector in a CIA program. So that's sort of the operating theory with him. Then they talk about Jack Ruby, and of course, Jack Ruby's not just some deranged nightclub owner. Jack Ruby is a a mob-connected guy who was supposed to, his job was to see to it that Oswald would not survive after the assassination, and when he failed, he had to kill him in person, he had to do it personally. He was not a gunman, he was not a gunslinger, but he had to do it, and they again, they ask in the book, well, how is it that you could walk in to the Dallas police station when the most famous, most guarded criminal defendant maybe in American history is being moved, and you walk right up to him with a gun out in broad view, surrounded by police officers, and you manage to shoot him dead on. So they wonder about that. And then they go through uh, people that were either involved with Oswald or involved with Ruby, knew him, worked with him, et cetera. And a lot of these people uh, died very mysteriously. Um, I mean, I I can't go through all of them or even a few of them. But, I mean, like, for example, you know that uh, the official story is that Lee Harvey Oswald killed a Dallas police officer after the assassination because there was an all-points bulletin and this, this officer spotted him and pulled up to question him and and supposedly Oswald killed him. His name was J.D. Tippett. Well, there were witnesses to that shooting who, when they were shown pictures of Oswald, said that's not the guy that shot him. And one of those guys was a guy named Benavides, And he was talking a lot in local Dallas media about how uh, the, Oswald was not the one that killed that officer. They killed his brother, somebody did, because his brother looked like him. And they think, the authors think, the killing of the brother was a mistake, that it was supposed to be this guy, and they killed the brother. and said So once his brother was killed, he changed his story and said, oh, yes, in fact, it was Oswald. There's a bunch of things like that. There's a, a Navy commander who was involved in the uh, autopsy and the record-keeping of the autopsy of President Kennedy and saw that the wounds to the president had been altered. That's one of the theories of the assassination is that the way they got away with the, the conspiracy is they changed the appearance of the wounds to fit the official story. So apparently, according to this book, Hit List, uh, this commander's name is Pitzer. Um, he supposedly committed suicide, but the suicide doesn't add up. He wasn't suicidal. He was a few days from his retirement from the Navy. He had a high-paying job lined up. Um The thing that a lot of these people have in common in this book by Richard Belzer is that they either had been talking a lot about a cover-up or that the facts were not getting out or they were about to testify. There were several people. Do you remember back in the 70s when Congress reopened the Kennedy assassination and there was the the House, I think it was called Committee on Assassinations or something like that, when they reopened it, they called some of the people in this book to testify. These are people that had been in the story, part of Oswald's story, part of Ruby's orbit. Some of them died the day before they were scheduled to appear on television before Congress. I mean, you know, know. there was a former deputy director of the FBI right before he goes to testify. And he had left the FBI because he felt that they were covering up the truth. His name was William Sullivan. Just a few days before he was to testify, he was hunting in New Hampshire. A hunter killed him in a hunting accident. And the locals didn't believe it because this hunter was a very experienced hunter, wouldn't have made that kind of mistake. And this this Sullivan, this former FBI executive, had said someday, he had told his friends literally, someday you're going to hear that I was killed in an accident and don't believe it when you hear it. And then years later, it happened right before he was going to testify. So anyway, that's what Richard Belzer's book is about. It's called Hit List, Richard Belzer and David Wayne. And I do recommend it if you are into the, the whole topic. And I'm one of those people that has fallen down that you know, well, I'm, I'm many, 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 many books and documentaries into it, uh, and, and fascinated by it. But if you're not, it's probably a little too dense. You probably get kind of bored with it. Um, and then I started thinking, just because you get paranoid when you think about these things, then I started thinking, okay, now if you order this book on Amazon, does that mean you're on a list? So, you know, I'm just saying. I should be on the air today till seven o'clock. I'm in a very good mood. I'm just letting you know. It's called Hit List. Richard Belzer, David Wayne came out about uh, I think about six or seven years ago. Yeah, so th- this is a book that basically each chapter is a person who had some connection to one of the people involved. In the Kennedy assassination, they're either involved with Oswald, or involved with Jack Ruby. Some of them are involved with both. Because, by the way, there is a school of thought that Oswald and Ruby were very well known to one another. Um, or they were involved with the, you know, the CIA or the FBI or, or with Kennedy or what have you. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it's crazy. And some of it is a stretch. I mean, for example, J. Edgar Hoover. Now, J. Edgar Hoover died in 1972. He was a very old man. He had a heart attack. Um, He once told a friend, somebody asked him about the Kennedy assassination, and in an unguarded moment, which was rare for J. Edgar Hoover, he said something to the effect of, if I ever told you what I know about that, it would permanently change our form of government. That's sort of dire-sounding, right? There was a quote in the book, uh, somebody who had worked in the CIA. I thought this was an interesting way of looking at things. This guy says, anybody can commit a murder, but it takes an expert to commit a suicide. And a lot of these uh, people are people that allegedly committed suicide they shot themselves they took an overdose of drugs they hung themselves but their their families don't believe it which is not unusual but when you look at the facts and when these authors sort of unpack the theories y- y- you doubt it i mean some of it is just not like the navy commander i mean it just doesn't it just doesn't add up this is a guy that was raking leaves the morning of his suicide and was doing all of these perfectly normal things, writing himself notes for stuff he needed to do later. It just doesn't seem like somebody that would commit suicide. And then um, there are people whose deaths made no sense. Like, there was a guy in this book, I forget who he was or what he did, but he was, basically, he had seen or heard something he shouldn't have seen or heard. And he had told his wife, they're, they're coming for me, they're coming for me, and she thought he was crazy. And they found him all cut up in the street, um, next to a broken plate glass window for like a department store, and the theory that they concluded was that he had committed suicide by running into a plate glass window the the glass cut his major blood vessels now i've never heard of anyone doing that i've never heard of anyone trying to do that. I bet in the actuarial tables that 's not even a chapter. And none of it made sense. The glass was in the wrong place. He was too far away from the window. I mean, that's the kind of thing this book deals in. Where you where you read it, and and even if you're not conspiracy minded, which I admit I am, you read stuff like that, and you think, no, no, loose ends are being are being tied up. There was a famous uh, columnist, uh, Dorothy Kilgallen, uh, back in the 1950s and 60s, nationally syndicated. Uh, columnist i i remember you know i remember hearing her name I, I i'm too young to remember seeing her but anyway she um she got very interested in the kennedy assassination she knew some of the people uh involved she decided to and she was convinced that uh the oswald and ruby thing was a cover-up so she interviewed ruby in prison she's one of the very few people who did she um started compiling her data she started telling her readers and her friends that she was going to write uh, a book that would blow the doors off the whole case she gave a copy of what she had compiled to her best friend one day they find dorothy dead of a drug overdose in a bed in her home that, according to her friends, she never would have slept in. It was like a guest room. Dressed in something she would never have worn. There's about five other things that are wrong with the setting and the picture. No notes. They can't find any notes about Kennedy, nothing. They go to the friend. The friend has died of natural causes, but is dead okay, well, let's see where the the notes are, the copy of the... Those are gone, too. I mean, stuff like that, right? Hit list, Richard Belzer. So you and I have talked about Ukraine before, and I know you, you, you do a lot of reading about this and mm-hmm. thinking about it, and we're at the one-year mark. Mm-hmm. Um, And I was thinking today, there's a difference between being very sympathetic to or admiring of the Ukrainian people and at the same time, be, being very worried about where this is going.
1: Yeah. You know, which Ukrainian people, though? That's the, that's the complex part of this whole thing. Cause the narrative is, it, it, it's still spun. We're a year into this. And mm-hmm. depending on what news you're listening to and what part of the world, mm-hmm.
5: Mm-hmm. you
1: get a little bit more context on what exactly this is. Ukraine mm-hmm. was in a civil war. Mm-hmm which is Ukrainians versus Ukraine. This was ugly. It Mm. still is, but for a different reason. And the analogy was given to me several months ago. In fact, I don't think I had moved down here yet because the, the simple line is, yep, that Vladimir Putin just invaded Ukraine. Right. But what would the U.S. do if we discovered that Canada or Mexico was stockpiling uh, hundreds of thousands of Chinese troops, uh, Chinese uh, weapons, and so forth. Uh, Cuban Missile Crisis, Mm. that's a similar... In other words, Russia does not want NATO Mm -hmm. at its its back door. Mm -hmm. And given Mm -hmm. the fact that Ukraine has you know i've heard it said that there there's just not a lot of strategic value for for western europe and and so forth and it's not to justify putin what i'm saying is right. russia doesn't want that there and frankly many ukrainians don't either so which people are we talking about
2: yeah well and i and i'm glad you brought that up because one of the things i most hate about this this anytime we have these discussions is when people start in with the whole well if you're not completely exactly uh, on board with this yep then you're a putin apologist that's right it, it, just just forget about that mm. it, it, it is possible to hate vladimir putin and everything he stands for and still not uh be sure we're doing this the right way and the, the other thing i would throw in with what you mentioned about pre-existing conditions in ukraine is about 30 years ago the clinton administration negotiated an agreement with ukraine to give up their nuclear weapons, which were a remnant of the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. And that agreement gives them a blank check for Western security and security guarantees. That was how we got them to, to give up the nukes. Mm-hmm. We, we, we have your back. It was called the Budapest Treaty. We have your back if anything happens. And they're gonna they're gonna wave that uh, you know in front of everybody and say, "Well, you you have to come to our rescue." Yeah,
1: that's this complicated, Jack. It's um, you yeah. know the I mean I think Russia's taken over four territory. I look, I don't see Russia losing this.
2: Well, I don't see them losing it. I don't see them winning. I yeah, mean, I don't know. I that don't that think there's they're, a they're gonna take, right, right. Yeah, and and that's why I said at the beginning, it, it's possible to be. Sympathetic to people who are suffering, people sure. who are fighting. There's been there's been real valor shown by people, right. but at the same time, be you know, now that you're you're involving uh, an alliance between China and Russia, this starts to get global. This starts to get mm-hmm. uh, into a kind of commitment that our leaders are not preparing us for. They're not they're not talking about this. They're making it out as if it's Biden versus Putin, mm-hmm. and they're 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 sitting across a chessboard from one another.
1: It's the whole world. It could be, yeah. And all over Ukraine, which is a country most how many Americans can find Ukraine on a map? And yet that could very well end up being the trigger to a much yeah. greater
2: military it's like yeah, kinda of like that. Well the big ones always start with some small yeah. right World you War know, One. Serbia or Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, um so yeah, no, I think that's a good point. But anyway, we're a year in. Thank you, Christian, we're a year into this thing. Uh we'll talk about that. Two ten five nine nine fifty five 55, Um I, I also, I find it uh really nauseating to hear our politicians saying things like no matter what you need and no matter how long it takes and we will, they are, first of all, if you step back, it, it, those are all lies. Politicians are the last people you would ever want to depend on, right? But more importantly, they're not saying that. They never talk that way to their own people. They're not saying that to you. They're not that committed to you or to our communities or to our country. They're talking like this is their highest responsibility. Now, it's one thing to, you know, if you want to say, hey, I think this is uh the linchpin to world peace, or I think this is if we if we don't handle this right, it could have bigger implications. I, I get that, but it's nauseating to me to hear them make the kinds of um, "sky's the limit" promises that they never make and express a loyalty to and a a, a commitment to um, people that are not their own people. Of course, as I mentioned. Uh, technically, you've got the Budapest Agreement, you've got NATO. L- l- let's also remember, and I think Christian was starting to talk about this, yes, uh, Putin's worried about the expansion of NATO, but he, he, he hasn't attacked a NATO country. And I'm not one of those people who thinks because he would go into Ukraine, well, he would just as easily go into Poland or uh, Germany. No, I, I don't I don't believe that. That's a that's a different could he do it? Yeah, he could do it. That's a completely different conversation. You're having a whole different conversation if something like that happens. That's not these are not dominoes that are right next to each other. So, 210-599-5555. Uh continuing to update some of the things we talked about this week. I've got a lot of these. Uh, remember the Roald Dahl discussion? So he was the 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 late great uh author wrote Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and James and the Giant Peach and the fantastic mr fox all these books that have been beloved of children and adults for generations and uh have been uh, made into movies he's the uh, according to uh, the charts he is the best selling deceased author in the world well his publisher uh, had announced that they were going to change and rewrite his books to make them more inclusive The company announced today that they will split the difference. I guess they got a backlash. So their new plan is to rewrite the books, but also to offer them in their original text. So in their rewrites, they're eliminating words like fat and black, they're um, cleaning up female characters who are shrewish or villainous, because that never happens. And now they're saying, we will make those changes, but we will also, having listened to the debate and the questions and realizing the extraordinary power and affection these books generate, um, we will keep his classic texts in print. What do you think about that? I mean, I, I, I still think it's audacious, outrageous, asinine, offensive, presumptuous for these literary nobodies to, to rewrite other people's literature. How dare you? Write your own. Oh, wait, I forgot. You don't have any talent. But at least if, if they keep their word, and that's a big if, it will be interesting to see which uh, texts people turn to. Because if you give me the choice, I'm going to choose the original. And I think most people would. And I find it hard to believe they're going to follow through on this announced plan because they will look like fools if no one wants to buy the revised Roald doll books and they continue gobbling up the original text. In other words, they'll have egg on their face that you can't wipe off. So I have the feeling, I'm telling you this is what they've come out and said today, but I have the feeling they will not keep their word on this because it's very risky for them to do this. You know, They didn't say, forget it, we'll leave the books alone. Now they're basically saying, we think we can compete with his books offering our you know, diversity, equity, inclusion versions. Well, if they don't, if if that's a, a fail, a flop, uh, they're not going to want to look stupid and have to admit that they blew it. So I kind of wonder if they'll even do this. On my Facebook page, it's just Jack Riccardi, okay, just Jack Riccardi on Facebook, and you'll see a link to the Richard Belzer book right there. Speaking of books, the publisher for Roald doll. Announcing today that they have heard a backlash of anger and rage over their decision to edit his books and kind of uh, diversify them or make them more inclusive. They've announced that they will um, keep the original texts in print, continue to offer those alongside their new and improved uh, version, which is still pretty, I think, still pretty ballsy to do but we'll see what happens and see if they keep their word on that uh 210-599-5555 matt is on ktsa jack ricardi show hi matt
6: jack we live in a silly world i don't know when it stops spinning so fast but i want to get off before i get sick This redrawing (laughs) books and redefining books to make them more inclusive are they gonna get to the bible anytime soon i'd really love to see how they how they redo that one but my sister told me they even have a visual disclaimer on Gilligan's Island now. You know, before you watch it. She, really? She sent me what a does it screen, say? She sent me a yeah. screenshot. She sent me a screenshot. It says, this program includes language and cultural stereotypes, inconsistent with modern standards. Gilligan's oh. Island was made times change, but the castaways are still stranded. Viewer discretion is mm. advised.
2: Viewer what? discretion. What? <laughs> well, <laughs> now, wait a minute. Wait a minute, uh, would I be triggered by the Howells because of their white privilege and their wealth? or what? Who, who, who would trigger Marianne, me I, on Gilligan's Island?
6: You, you know, I don't know. Is it because they're making Marianne out to be the humble Kansas farm girl?
7: You know, oh, trying to compete know.
6: with the stereotypical Hollywood starlet? Or, you know, the know. portrayal of um, Japanese Americans or Japanese... Uh, uh, guy who was uh, driving around in in the little cab. He also played a mad scientist on there, not the cab. I'm sorry, a submarine uh, around the lagoon and and uh, Bob. Oh Deppert yeah,
2: yeah, there. yeah. I forgot what, about uh, that. Yeah.
6: Uh, I mean, yeah. my golly. I mean, can not people just enjoy things anymore?
2: Yeah. You know what I, mean, I get a I kick out of, of is I I love cool. watching I love watching Turner Classic Movies. It's my favorite, probably my favorite channel. And now they've always got to come on. And give you this little lecture about how what you're about to see uh, was okay at the time, but now we, we these are stereotypes or these are cultural depictions or and, and, and I mean it, to their credit at least they still show these movies, but do we really well, need do we really need the lecture?
6: That's that's what I that's what I'm waiting for. People want to go back and like YouTube uh, the old Sanford and Sons and some of the. Some of the words that would no longer ever ever be mentioned yeah. on television yeah. today, you there know, you, you know, Gilligan's was one, and you know, I'm going to uh, check that
2: out. I want to, yeah, I want to see that. I want to see that disclaimer on Gilligan's Island, Matt. Thank you for letting us know about that. I appreciate it. Uh, I think you make a good point. Uh, it, it, you know, um, there's. I guess I'm I'm biased because I, I I am a book lover. A book that says title and author on the cover should contain only the words, the thoughts, the images, the creativity of the author whose name is on the, the cover. Okay? It wasn't a committee that wrote Roald Dahl's book. It was him. He wrote it at a time when the things he wrote um were of a piece with that time. But whether he was an outlier or whether these ideas have changed, all books have that kind of evolution. All books, when we go back to them years later, have aged. Okay. That's the thing about a book. It's, it's a work of art. And the thing about a work of art is it doesn't change. Artists don't paint on, on dry erase whiteboards, right? They they lay down that paint that pigment on canvas and it, there's no changing it once it's there and it dries that's it same thing with a book now, If you want to write another book write another book If you want to write a critique of Roald Dahl do that But to put your work in between the covers of his book is a kind of I think a kind of intellectual rape and, and I'm, I'm fascinated by people who would actually presume, and I don't know who, who anointed them. How do they know they're right? Right? Imagine being so sure of yourself that when you read a book, you don't just have an opinion about it. You decide you can fix it. <laughs> I mean that's 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 some pretty big you know what's in my opinion. So what they've decided to do, they say, is offer both his original text and their uh new and improved lemon scented uh versions side by side. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. Dev is on five fifty and one oh seven one KTSA. Dev, good afternoon.
7: Good afternoon. How are you doing today?
2: I'm good, sir. How are you?
7: You know, I'm fine. I had to call in about this. Look, as being a black person, we used to watch all that Archie Bunker. You know, all in the family. You know, everything that was supposedly supposedly so racist. My dad loves John Wayne. That you know, hey, they need to cut it with the council and and trying to redo. It's like trying to redo a show. Uh, that that was a classic. And now oh, we're going to make it better and make it inclusive the way they think it should be. But, you know, regardless of the times, they were funny. That's all. It was art. It was
2: right. right.
7: It was at that time. But it still is art and portrayed. And that's why black, white. Been, we all love those shows. It wasn't a, we thought about stereotypes when we were younger or anything. My dad and mom never said, oh, that's racist. They just laugh at the shows they just enjoy them. Why can't we mm-hmm. do that still?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I think we can, but we have this we have this phenomenon where there's white people that keep taking offense on behalf of well, for example, of black people. In other words, isn't that hilarious? They, they, they don't wait to see if you're offended. They decide right. they're offended for you.
7: Oh, I've had that happen before. Uh, some people were saying some words, and they were like, oh, as a white person. I'm offended that you saying that, and it's a black person. And I was like, hold mm-hmm. on, oh, no, the dude's black. They're saying it. So what is offending yep. you?
8: Yeah.
7: But yep. I, I understand, but at the same point in time, you know, you can't be offended about something that we or any minority or a color is saying, hey, that's offensive to. How are you going to take it upon yourself to say it is offensive when no one else is but you?
2: i got to think too, Dev, that the people that do this stuff they 're probably jealous of people with talent and creativity they 're never going to make a book or a movie or a television show that endures the the ages like these shows and these books do. they know they 'll never be able to make their mark that way, so their only way is to jump onto somebody else 's creation and put their you know their mark on it or their their uh, I, I would call it not their mark but really more like their vandalism. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's their only hope of immortality because they're not Roald doll. They can't do it.
7: And before we go, I just want to say I agree with your last, with the other caller that I'm waiting for them to try to redo the Bible. That yeah. is going to be yeah. uh, something.
2: I'm sure there's a whole team working on that. Dev, have a good weekend. Thank you for joining our show. Matt, great call as well.
4: You've waited all week. You've been waiting Monday, you got through it Tuesday, you got through it Wednesday, you started to smell it Thursday, you were right on top of it, and now
0: it's here, it's Friday, it's time to rock and roll, break out the speakers, blow your cars engine up, get home, get to your stuff, and get ready to rock because it's Friday, up?
2: Jack here in the late afternoon. We're live on KTSA Monday through Friday from 4 to 7, but also available on demand. You can listen to us nights, weekends, mornings, as a podcast. And uh, you can do a whole week's worth of shows on the weekend if you want to do that. Just go to KTSA.com, pull down on demand, or look for the Jack Riccardi Show any place that you get podcasts. So it was actually the National Archives, not the um, National Air and Space, I Confused, conflated my stories. But this was a field trip that some students were on from a um, Catholic or Christian school. And they um, had pro-life hats on. I mean, I think it just said pro-life. That's all. And other than that, there was no disruption or bad behavior. or But they all wore the same cap to keep the group identified and together. And a security guard told them if they didn't take the hats off, they'd have to leave right away. Threw them out of the National Archives. And now the National Archives has announced that the Guard has been um, relieved of duty, and uh, it turns out that he was a private contractor, uh, that they had hired a company to uh, augment or provide their security. It seems weird that they would have privatized the security at a government Installation like this, but in any event, they had, they're saying, uh, he, this is not our policy and we apologize. And I, I'm glad they did that. I, I'm not sure I totally believe their explanation of it because I think they were about to get a major, major, um, like landmark kind of, uh, lawsuit. And they may yet, but they've tried to blunt that by saying, uh, no, it's this guy's fault we were talking about um the role doll books and rewriting and reworking works of art and works of literature and and so forth um i just saw an interview with not not an interview i'm sorry a tweet from uh ben stiller who of course is an actor and a comedian and and a big time liberal i mean ben stiller is a big time lefty okay but he was talking about the movie Tropic Thunder which he made several years ago and if you haven't seen it it's a it's a silly kind of slapstick um movie and in the movie Robert Downey Jr plays an actor Who is playing a black soldier. It's a, it's a, it's a spoof on war movies, Tropic Thunder. So it's like a, it's like a Mel Brooksian treatment of platoon or something like that. So anyway, uh, Robert Downey is essentially in, in, in a kind of blackface. And, um, he has said that he regrets it and shouldn't have done it. But people had apparently thought that Ben Stiller also uh, apologized. And so he took to Twitter to say, I have never apologized for this movie, and I'm not going to apologize for it. Uh, He says, um, I make no apologies. I don't know who told you that. It's always been a controversial movie. I'm proud of it and the work everyone did on it. You know, I'm okay with Robert. If Robert Downey Jr. is unhappy with what he did, then he wants to say that now. He, that's, that's his, that's his work, right? So he portrayed the character. That's his portrayal. If he wants to pull it back, if he wants to tell people don't watch it, whatever he wants to do, that's, he has the right to do it. And Ben Stiller has the right to stand by what he did. And I'm happy that he's doing that. And it encourages me anytime somebody, refuses to bow, but it especially encourages me when I see somebody who I know is otherwise, you know, pretty, he he checks all the boxes in Hollywood. I mean, he's on the right side of everything, supports the right stuff, you know, all the way up and down. But he's saying, no, make no apology for this. Um, he, he will, and see, that's what you have to do. If there's a whiff of a cancel culture mob coming for you, your defense is not, Oh, I'm so sorry. Like the 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 radio guy we played the other day, the Boston radio guy. See, he he put his head in their noose when he started in with the whole "I'm not a racist" and you need to know this about me and let me tell you all the ways in which I'm not. And you can't. I know your instinct is to always please people. We're all built that way to some degree, varying degrees. But if there's one thing we've learned about this current cultural moment that we're in. It's that if you um, start to offer up contrition to a mob, it's not the same as being contrite to your husband or wife or somebody who loves you. They take your contrition as an act of love and it can be healing, right? I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry I said that. I'm really sorry I did that. To these people, Contrition is like blood in the water. It's like a shot of adrenaline. They get very, very, very excited. They've got you. And we've watched this how many times? The minute you put your head in that news, you're going down. You're going to swing. So Good for Ben Stiller for not doing that. Uh, Looks like they're going to ban gasoline-powered lawnmowers, chainsaws, leaf blowers, trimmers, et cetera, et cetera, in Minnesota by the year 2025. They've got a bill before the legislature that would block the sale of all outdoor and landscaping um, machinery that runs on gasoline, requiring that only electric battery versions be sold. And I read that, and I've I've mentioned this before, and it's just make, make the point, I, I actually use all electric stuff at my house. And it's fine. It's I don't do it for environmental reasons. I actually do it because uh, from years ago, I always was kind of leery about having a gas can in the garage, so just so I don't have to store gasoline at home, because I'm kind of a paranoid person, I, I just use the electric stuff. And, and I like it, and it's quieter, and it's easy to use, and I never have to go to the gas station. But, clearly, this is a bill that would wreak havoc with people who do commercial landscaping. Because my little electric trimmer and my little electric lawnmower, it's fine for me, but you couldn't do this all day. You couldn't be going all day long. There's no there's no way that works. I find it interesting that no one ever calls out the environmental movement for how anti-working class people it is. Every single Thing they come up with is the enemy of people that get dirt under their fingernails, drive a pickup truck, work outdoors, work for a living, serve others. You know, you, you, you go to work in the morning and what do you see all over the highways of San Antonio? Trucks pulling trailers with lawnmowers and trimmers and ladders and brush and what have you. This is how people are living. And these, these liberals, I mean, they just, they don't care. I mean, screw you and your, and your way of life and your, and your livelihood. We don't want to have to smell it. We don't want to have to hear it. So that's what they're going to do in Minnesota. It looks like, um, by the year 2025. It's like the other states are saying to California, hold my beer, right? Watch this. Vote in the JR poll. The question today, should Secretary Pete keep his job? I mentioned this yesterday, and I couldn't put my hands on it. This was a a, a piece that came from a, a blogger called Visual Capitalist, and they were looking at where in where does the plastic waste in the ocean really come from? You know, we we've all seen in recent years the repackaging of products, the elimination of plastic straws, et cetera, et cetera, because um, so many millions of tons of plastic uh, are winding up in the oceans, right? and you don't have to be an environmentalist to care about that and, and it, none of us want that um and there are these i don't know if you've ever seen the pictures but there are these huge almost like um masses or they almost look from the from the sky almost like tornadoes of plastic in some parts of the ocean where it all just kind of comes together and it creates these you know I guess you could say essentially like litter fields that are the size of a of a medium sized country out in the middle of the ocean. So there's a lot of this stuff, and where does it come from? Well, first of all, it comes from. Most of it, they say, is not thrown directly into the water. Most of it comes from litter on shore or in inla- inland. And then with storms and drainage and, and so forth, everything runs to the ocean. So you throw a piece of plastic away hundreds of miles from the ocean, but oftentimes it eventually gets to the ocean. Uh, and then some of it does come from the shorelines and from beaches and from ships and so forth. Um, you would maybe think that the countries that produce the most or consume the most are the ones that pollute the oceans the most. I would have thought that. It's not true. In fact, the leading polluters surprised me, although when you hear them and you think about it, you'll see why it's so. The number one polluter, and it's not even close, by far is the Philippines. In metric tons, they more than double all oh, they actually they actually just about triple the number two country. So the Philippines is number one. Now, it's a tiny country, but it's all shoreline. Number two is India. The rest of the uh, top ten, so Philippines, India, Malaysia, number three, China, Indonesia, number five, Myanmar, Brazil, Vietnam, Bangladesh, Thailand. The rest of the world is a fraction of what those top ten countries put into the ocean. Well, the Philippines is all islands. It's got, obviously, it's all coastline. It has thousands of rivers that drain into the ocean. So that that does make sense, even though it's very uh, small. Um, India is, a, is, of course, a vast country and a and a country with coastline. They said that um, Malaysia um, is a big issue, but what's interesting is China generates 10 times as much plastic waste as Malaysia, but 10% of Malaysia's waste goes into the ocean and less than 1% of China's does. So a lot of it has to do with whether a country is rich enough to prevent itself from polluting. The U.S. is nowhere on here. Nowhere on here. And see, I think this is a a, a corollary or a, a, a lesson to think about when you hear about environmentalism, because we are being ordered, commanded, coerced to do things to save the planet when we're probably not in a position to save the planet. We probably can't make a difference. If we all did to the nth degree to the ultimate um perfection the things they that the green movement tells us to do it would be a, it would be less than a drop in the bucket as long as other countries are not doing it and they're not going to do it and poverty according to environmental experts the number one barrier is poverty because if a country is poor and people are just trying to get by and live the they can't do the things that wealthy first world countries can choose to do, can opt to do, to sort of green up their economy or green up their grid. Anyway, I thought it was very interesting. It's, it's, not, it's not the list you would expect uh, when you hear it. And again, if you're interested in this stuff, uh, the blog is called Visual Capitalist. <laughs>
4: Beans and Conrad had a bite. Beans knocked Conrad out of sight. said, now nah, that's all right. Meet me on the corner
2: i ready. i ready. Well, I'll tell you what. If you're hungry, this hour's going to make you hungrier. If you're not hungry, this hour might make you hungry. But the good news is you're going to find out about places to go and things to eat. And we call this the dish. It's the last hour of the last show of the week. On our show here in the late afternoon, and it's all about restaurants, and you're the star. You're the one who's telling us about where you had lunch today or dinner last night or you went out this week or you had a special occasion. Maybe you tried a new restaurant or one that's new to you, or maybe you want to call and sing the praises of an old favorite. You want to talk about where you ate, what you had, what's good, where it is, or if you Things did not go well. You can tell us that story. 210-599-5555 on the dish. 210-599-5555. You can praise or zing. Who's
0: doing the job here? I think think this is Donald Trump's fault.
2: Mm. (laughs) Hmm. There you go. Praise or it's Donald Trump's fault. 210-599-5555. 210-599-5555. All we ask when you call in on the dish, please, if you would, is have the complete correct name of whatever restaurant you're calling about. And with that, we'll get started. We're also taking your votes in the JR poll. We'll have results on our poll question coming up here right before 7 o'clock. Uh, still voting uh by phone or at KTSA.com on the poll question. All right, 210-599-5555. Now, I guess what we call... um Chips, they call in England crisps. Is that right? I think they call them crisps. So there was a contest going on. Uh, there's a brand over there called Walkers. And they had a contest. If you found a perfectly heart-shaped crisp in a bag of Walkers, you won a 100,000 pounds. A woman opened her bag... This was the day after Valentine's Day. She noticed that one of the crisps was perfectly shaped like a heart. She took a picture of it with her phone. She snapped it and Instagrammed it all over the place. Isn't this cute? Isn't this funny? And then she ate it. She did not know about the contest, and she couldn't understand why people were inundating her with messages saying, I hope you haven't eaten it, and oh my gosh, don't eat it. (laughs) Her name is Don Sager. She was replying, yes, I ate it. I ate all of them. What are you talking about? Um, Only then did her friends clue her in to her error. She Googled it and found out about the contest. Um, According to the Walker's people, you have to turn in the crisp and the package it came in in order to win the prize, she does have the package, but she has digested the crisp. She says she was gutted when she found out. I don't know what to tell you about that. I mean, should you look at every potato chip before you eat it? Well, no. I mean, not unless there is a contest, right? Two. It seems like kind of a dumb contest, but anyway, she didn't know about it. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five praise or zing, on the dish. We're going to start with Ernest on KTSA with his call on the dish. Ernest, happy Friday.
9: Happy Friday to you, Jack. <clears throat> okay. What well, is up? Uh, well, I took my sisters and wife to the Magnolia Pancake House for my wife's birthday last month, <clears throat> and my sisters ordered the pecan pancakes. My wife ordered a <clears throat> egg on, uh, I guess, on a biscuit and I had, a, <clears throat> excuse me, I had a uh, a blueberry pancake. Well, uh, their pancake had no pecans. Well, it had two pecans on top, and one on the bottom. Mine had no blueberries. Had a couple of pe- broken pecans, and her biscuit was hard as a as a hockey puck.
2: Wow! And Which magnolia picket. was this?
9: Uh, the one on Hebner.
2: Okay. And had you been there before? Was this your first time, or? Had you-
9: no, no, actually I think this is my second or third and you know, we were just like, Oh boy, we're gonna go eat at the Magnolia. We're gonna we're gonna be flying high today, but it just was like I wonder if this food is like from yesterday and they just reheated it. It just didn't yeah. seem right.
2: So what did they say when you when you told them?
9: <clears throat> well we didn't. We just ended up leaving we paid and we left. uh, uh unfortunately we just kinda took it hmm. for what it was.
2: Why why would you not have why would you not have it sounds like everybody's dish had a problem, right? So why why wouldn't why wouldn't you say something?
9: Um, you know, I think we just wanted to go. I think we just wanted to get out of there, and uh, and just forget. You know, just brush it up. because we were going to go another day. To uh, I think we went to the Cracker Barrel after that to have breakfast. Uh, you know, with my other half of the family, and uh, and that one was great. Yeah. But, uh, well, I mean, the only
2: reason I ask is because. I'm sure you know. I mean, it's a locally owned company. It's like, it's not like you're at some chain where they don't care and there's nobody in charge. You know, you, there's places like that where you you look around and you think, who would I even complain to? I mean, nobody here cares. But you know, that's a locally owned place. I think they probably would have remade your food if you had just said it.
9: Well, yeah, but then you know, we we did want to have to wait to have a uh, re you know have the food remade and. It oh, it was just okay. like you because know, we already waited some time to get in and then to sit down and then and then order and then you know, it's like well when, when we finally get it, it's like, well it's not the greatest Gee whiz, you know.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm sorry that I'm sorry that happened to you. Um, especially where you had gotten your hopes up and, and really been looking forward to it. All right, so Ernest had a bad meal, didn't tell anyone, told us a zing for Magnolia Pancake House, the Hebner Road location. Who's on the doing dish?
0: the job here? I think, I think this is Donald Trump's fault.
2: He made those pancakes, you see. That's what he did. When we started doing this uh, segment, one of the questions we kind of dealt with was, well, um, what if people call in and complain about a restaurant, but the restaurant didn't have a chance to address the issue or make it up to the person? So that's why I say, and that's why I'll ask sometimes, well, did you tell them, or did you give them a chance to fix it, or correct it, or remake? Because I, you're welcome to call the show whether you did or you didn't, and we'll take your zings. Um, but yeah, I mean, if it's a if it's a local place, if it's like an owner operated restaurant, or you know, it's based here, or or maybe the owner is is you know flitting around. I mean, I, I do think it's only fair. I mean, give them a chance, you know. Maybe they'll maybe they'll stiff you. Maybe they won't do it. Maybe they'll give you attitude. We hear those stories all the time. But, yeah, I mean, you know, wouldn't you like to have your pecan pancakes with pecans? I mean, that would be more satisfying than just calling me about it, right? So that's why I asked. Um, 210-599-5555. You know what people will ask me sometimes? They'll say, well, how do the restaurants that advertise on KTSA uh, feel when there's a Zing call and I'll tell you, they're very interested. <laughs> um, and they usually want to know, uh, the details because they're, they're here because of the dish. A lot of them come to the radio station because of the dish. So they want to talk to and reach this audience, but they would also like the chance to, you know, fix their mistakes if they can, if it's possible while you're still there. So anyway, 210-599-5555. You can praise or zing your most recent restaurant experience. It can be a, a well-known place it can be a hole in the wall it can be a place you know we've had calls on before but i still want to hear your version of events 210 599 as we uh check in here next with uh Luis on ktsa happy friday night sir welcome to the show hello hello louise you there yes i am sorry about that that's okay how you doing Doing great, doing
4: great. Uh, I'd like to praise Tex Mex Tacos on West, right up at the HEB uh, center there. Block One West.
2: Tex Mex Tacos. And he said it's on West Avenue? Correct. Okay. Tell me about it. He, he just started
4: about, uh, I was about four or five months ago. He was a chef at another place I used to go to and loved it. Mm-hmm. But then I found out he's over there now. He opened up his whole place. Oh. So I'd like to really uh, ask our listeners to go out there and support him. He makes some great food, Mexican food.
2: What's the best thing to get there the first time you go? What would you recommend?
4: Said, well, I, I went uh, with my old time favorite, which is uh, uh, red chili pork tacos. I actually like the breakfast, but he makes them into tacos also.
2: Oh, okay. Looks like they're open. Um, they're open six to three every day, except Sunday when they're open seven to two. So it's got like a breakfast and lunch kind of place.
4: Correct. Let's see, ever has a breakfast tacos, but he makes a good full meal. He's got a full menu there. Great. Just about anything he makes, uh a fantastic uh, touch to
2: his food. So that's. Is that on the same uh, corner with Marshalls, or is it across the street from Marshalls?
4: It's on the same side as H E B, a few storefronts to gotcha. the right of it, I guess.
2: Mm-hmm. So it would be acro- it would be across the street from Marshalls. It would be across the street from uh, where that uh, incredible pizza place used to be. It's in Correct. the same center. You said it's in the same center with the H E B, right?
4: Correct, right alongside gotcha. the storefront of H-E-B, yes,
2: sir. There you go, right at, right at uh, Blanco and West Avenue, 11-541 West Avenue, Tex-Mex Tacos, new place. Correct. Luis, thanks for the call, Correct. sir. Good job. Good weekend. Praise for a new place. First call on the dish for that one, 210-599-5555. Praise or zing. Your most recent restaurant experience on the dish. Any kind of food, any kind of price and Stephanie is on the radio. Happy Friday night, Stephanie.
0: Hi, Jack. How are you?
2: I'm good, thank you. How are you doing?
0: I am good. I want to praise Piotti in the quarry market on Bassey Road. Oh, yeah. They renovated, and they changed the menu a little bit, but they're still going to bring some of the old favorites back, but what they have now is absolutely fabulous, and if they, they're doing their own in-house pasta, and they're actually selling it. Um, that's one of the renovations that they made, but everything is just fabulous.
2: What is your favorite thing? to It's been a long time since I've been there. What, what's your favorite thing to get there?
0: So on the menu now, the Caesar salad, which actually has real anchovies, added to it. It's just a couple of pieces right on top, so you can get rid of those if you don't like anchovies. And the uh, short rib sugo is with the pappardelle pasta, and it's just the braised short ribs that have broken down. And the squid ink cara I don't think I said that right, but they have a squid ink pasta with clams and mm. fresh thyme. It is delicious
2: and do they still have you said they renovated they still have that kind of long bar along one side
0: so no they took that out and made that all seating and now the bar is in the middle okay um but the way they did it you still have I think they have more seating Mm -hmm. now inside that they've moved that bar than they had before.
2: Very interesting. Well, that was always a good place when you were in the area around the quarry. It was always a good choice, a good go-to. So I'm going to have to check it out now with a new menu and a new uh, dining room. Piatti, 255 East Bassey in the Alamo Quarry. Stephanie, good job. Have a good weekend. Thank you. Praise for Piatti, P I A. TTI 210 599 5555 praise or zing your most recent restaurant experience. Speaking of Italian food, I was reading that there is, I, I don't know if this is a new thing or the first time they've done it. It says annual. Uh, the San Antonio Pizza Festival will kick off Friday, October 13th. I mean, it's good to plan ahead, right? You know how I feel about pizza, so. Um, the San Antonio Pizza Festival will feature pizzas from several different, uh, makers and restaurants and pizza parlors and food trucks. There'll be a pizza eating contest. And it's, uh, again, October 13th. It's at, uh, the location of it. You, now this is just funny to me because you, you'd think it'd be a pizza place. <laughs> the location of it is Alamo Biscuit Company. Um, so that's where they're going to have it, which is on Huebner. And they're going to take over the entire restaurant. They're going to have things outside and inside. If you're interested in that, put it in your calendar for October 13th, the San Antonio Pizza Festival. All right, 210-599-5555 on The Dish. We're talking restaurants. Jim is next on the radio. Happy Friday, Jim.
8: Yeah, happy Friday. So, yeah, I went. I was invited by uh, a couple to go to uh, a place on East Grayson called Breakaway. Uh, brewing brewing and uh, it, it's a micro and but they also do have food and they've only been open like i say three weeks or so and it's mm-hmm. kind of the menus kind of a work in progress but um, the, you know the, obviously their micro beer is really good but um, their gumbo was amazing and and it and it continues to change even in the last couple of weeks since i've been there and uh, these it, it's a husband and wife that owns this and um, the food is really good. They have a polente um, like almost like a cheese stick, but made out of polente with a dip and it's really good. And, uh, they have a, uh, what they call, I guess you, the brisket, um, tacos, and then they have a, the burger. My wife loved that. And, um, so it, like I said, it's a, a work in progress because they said that they're going to change it. And they even had, um, uh, the other day on Pat Tuesday, they had gumbo and they had actually, <laughs> the wife came up and said, do you want to try? I'm doing this gumbo to see how you like it. It was a sausage shrimp gumbo. Really good. So, wow. it, it, you know, it's a, it's a neat little place.
2: So it sounds like it's got a lot of potential once they kind of figure out what they want to have on their menu.
8: Yeah. And I think they're just trying to dial that in. And, and uh,
2: yeah.
8: Yeah. You know, like I said, it's a work in progress, but it, it's uh it's a nice place. It's kind of quaint. And, and, uh, not big and but they have outdoor seating but the inside is almost like a living room kind of environment all
2: right 1518 east grayson for breakaway brewing company breakaway brewing company 1518 east grayson over there by the pearl jim great call thank you appreciate it first time calling the dish for that one too Brand new place. 210 599 5555. It can be new, new to you. You can sing the praises of an old favorite. Sometimes people call in about restaurants they've been going to their whole lives, but they clue in the rest of us. All right. This half hour, we'll have the results on the JR poll. Unless, unless I know too much about the Kennedy assassination. I may know too much. I read the book. Now, you know, I may be, I may be on a list or something now. I don't know, but I'm planning on at least 20 more minutes and we'll have the results on the JR poll. We're going to take more of your calls on the dish. Uh, if you have a restaurant you want to sing the praises of, 210-599-5555. And if you have a zing, we'll take a zing, too. Praise or zing. Um, and, of course, the results on the poll, I mentioned that. Uh, this was kind of a weird story. I, I mean, I don't want to make light of I mean, a person passed away, but a flying instructor died of a heart attack mid-flight, according to the British Air Accidents Investigation Board the um other person on the plane initially believed that the instructor had fallen asleep fortunately the other person was not a novice but in fact a fully qualified experienced pilot who was just going through some requalification and he had taken this instructor up as part of his i guess getting his his certificate or requalifying or whatever so he was he was um they were just chatting and he was flying the plane, and um, it was a single-engine plane, and he noticed uh, that the instructor's head, shortly after takeoff, had sort of rolled back onto the uh, headrest. He thought the instructor was perhaps taking a nap or pretending to take one, so he continued to do his things and go through his circuit, uh, performing the things he was supposed to perform, and it wasn't until they landed that he realized the instructor was unresponsive he called an uh, airport emergency services they came out attempted to revive the instructor to no avail uh, you know where my mind went right you go you you hear a story like that and again very sorry for the man that passed away but you think of the movie airplane right you know somebody's got to fly the plane so good thing it was an experienced pilot um, who didn't have a war story to tell. Two t- two ten five nine nine fifty-five fifty-five as we talk restaurants on the dish, praise or zing, your most recent restaurant experience. I read where you know it seems to be making a big comeback, if I may make the observation. Have you noticed all of a sudden bowling is in again? We've got that place uh, over there uh, at Park North, what is it called, Pinstack, is that what it's called? And I was just reading today about another place that's going to open up next month called Round One. It's a bowling and amusement center, and it's a Japanese-based company. Um, so it's a Japanese concept, but it's coming to San Antonio for the first time, and it will be at North Star Mall in the old uh, Forever 21 store right in the mall. And it's a combination bowling and, uh, you know, restaurants, and um, they're going to have those, um, what do they call them, crate games or crane games where you operate the, you know, there's the big glass case full of toys or prizes, and you operate the the arm thing to try to grab them. This article I was reading says that's very big. In Japan. So that's going to be a very big part of this place called Round One. So if you like... and I do like once in a while, it's, you know, it's just something different to do. Go bowling, go in a group. Uh, it's a good date thing to do. Um, I have noticed that the new places are a little steep. You know, you pay more. Uh, but I think they're figuring that there's people that maybe have never bowled before or don't bowl very often and that price thing won't bother them. But I mean, if you, if you've been going to Astro Bowl or, you know, wherever the places that have been open forever in a day, some of these other places, these new places, the prices are crazy. But, again, it just depends what you're used to, what you're expecting. Um, but looks like we're getting more bowling. So that's, that's something. I mean, I'm old enough to remember when it looked like every bowling alley would close. A lot of them did, right? And it, it felt like, at a certain point in time, that felt like something that was going to completely go away. Like, its time had just passed. Nobody was doing it anymore. It's funny how these things, there's one in the rim. Uh, I think it's called Bowl and Barrel or something like that. So, yeah, I mean, these things come back. Everything comes back.
3: What's great about these, if you want to call them novelty places, is that Mm. your normal or regular uh, bowling establishments, uh, a lot of times it's hard to get in, you know, just to get a lane to bowl on because they have uh, bowling leagues during those nights. And so maybe that's what... uh, uh, these other little novelty places like this could work out, like you know. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. Well,
2: Adam, I think also uh, because they have other other stuff to do. If you go like with kids, say you bring you know, say a couple of families hook up, um, the kids sometimes only want to bowl for a little while, right? And then they want to go do something else. There has to be other stuff for them to do. The the adults might keep bowling. So, uh, one thing I would like to see. I I, I hope somebody figures it out. Um I realized that bowling lanes are of limited width, right? So you, you know they can only be so wide. It'd be great if they could figure out seating that was more accommodating. If you bring several people, you know, you're all like squeezed together, <laughs> kind of like squeezed together um because there's just not very much seating because it's only as, the seating is only as wide as the lane area. It'd be great if they could figure that out. I don't know how to do that, but somebody will. 210-599-5555. That one is called Round One, by the way. Round One. It's going to be, uh, opening, um, I guess next month, North Star Mall. Uh, your calls on the dish to praise or zing your most recent restaurant experience. And while we're talking about food, a quick reminder and a good reminder, the Trey Wears fifth annual drive to end hunger is underway. If you go to ktsa.com, you will see it featured prominently, and you can give right there. Make a donation right there. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to do anything. Uh, and of course, the food bank's biggest need is cash. So with their buying power, your dollars go further, and we hope you'll give some of them right now at KTSA.com. It is presented by Stevens Roofing and in part by Airtron Heating and Air Roof Fix and the Institute for Functional Health.
0: Think of it then in the context of, like, I like to think about a lot of things in the context of a Venn diagram. I love Venn diagrams. (laughs) Always ask, is there a Venn diagram for this? I'm telling you, it's fascinating when you do. So, Venn diagram, those three circles, right? And if you want to add some more circles to the Venn diagram.
2: She loves her Venn diagrams. The vice president does. I don't mind that she loves Venn diagrams, but she always has to explain what they are like we're three years old, you know? That was defining them. I mean, I, these are really the, she's really the best friend the Venn diagrams ever had. There's never been any, there's never been a bigger booster of the Venn diagram than Kamala Harris. She found something she just really loves.
0: Always ask, is there a Venn
2: diagram for this? Hmm, yeah, okay. I, I will. Um, on the, uh, JR poll, we asked you, should Secretary Pete keep his job? It's not been a good week for him. Uh, and you didn't think so. 96% said no. 4% said yes. Come Monday at four, we'll have a new JR poll, or you can find it anytime at KTSA.com. As we continue to take your calls on the dish, you can praise or zing your most recent restaurant experience. And look who's here. Brown is here on a Friday night. How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing good, Jack. I'm, I haven't talked to you in a while. I
5: always love your show. Love your show. Well, you know, you're you. are like the voice of reason. I've told you that before. You should still run for mayor. So,
2: <laughs> Keep telling me that. I don't, don't ever get tired of got hearing it. you
5: skeletons in your closet. I know. I know. <laughs> That's right. I do. I, I, we all do. Hey, so I went to Cappy's on um, Valentine's Day. I made oh, a nice. reservation and, you know, and uh, showed up there. And I was actually, you know, it was the second time I've been there. And uh, I got a chance to sit up and I called it the tree house uh, up on the uh, upstairs. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, I just love that. I love that view up there. The trees are beautiful, you know? Um, I that got, is a, that you know, is a uh, very nice menu.
2: place, yeah.
5: Oh, it is. It's, it's spectacular. Um, I got an off menu item that they were offering that day. It was these pork medallions with this um, amazing reduction sauce and uh, very crisp. Very tasty broccoli that went with it. And, oh, man, it was. When I looked at it at first, it, you know, you had brown, purple, and green on the plate. And I thought, mm. but once mm. I put it in my mouth, I was like, that was great. It was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and my, my wife got the steak frites. And, uh, you know, I never, I didn't know what that was. And uh, when it came to the plate, it was like, you know, it was a big piece of steak with some french fries. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it, it was delicious. Can't go wrong I, like, there. It a little side, it was, I didn't hear you.
2: I said you can't go wrong there.
5: No, you can't. Uh, and you know, as busy as it was, I mm-hmm. was absolutely shocked at how on top of it they were. Even the manager came around clearing tables, and I mean, yeah. it just was a well-oiled machine. And yeah. I would say that thing has been there probably, you know, back when Henry Cisneros was the was the was the marrier. But I will tell you that if, if you haven't eaten there, your callers would definitely need to give that place yeah. a shot because I've, yeah. I've been there twice and I was impressed both times so i thought you know maybe they needed a shout out yeah but yeah. you know i, I mean I, I hate i hate giving zings to anything and i think your uh, your screener was like are you gonna give them a thing i was like no
2: <laughs> if you ever if you ever get back there i'll tell you what now i i like cappi's and and it's been a minute since i've been there but the, the the place i actually really like they have an annex it's part of their restaurant but it has its own name it's called cappuccino's did you see that I did see that. I I thought, I didn't know what that was. Yeah, it fronts on, it fronts right on Broadway, whereas the main restaurant, Cappy's, is kind of around the corner in the back there. And Cappuccinos is like a bar menu. So it's, they have a bar and then they have like the kind of things you you would eat with cocktails or with a glass of wine. And I, I really like Cappuccinos. It's very casual. Kind of has the same, all the wood paneling like Cappy's does. I'm sure they built it at the same time, but it just, it's oh, kind of man. a nicer, it's kind of a more relaxed, casual kind of thing. And if you ever try that, I think you'll really like that too. But yeah, Cappy's well, I'm is a, great. On
5: your, on your word, I'm going to go over there and give it a shot, and I'll give you a call. All right, Fridays from now.
2: <laughs> That's the If you try it, you have to call me, okay?
5: I definitely will, Jake.
2: Alright. All right, you have a good weekend, hey, Brown. Good Thank way. you, sir. Good to hear from you. Um, I'll tell you a funny, so he mentioned Valentine's Day. I can't this is so, so coincidental. So I think maybe the very first time I went there, this was right when I first moved to San Antonio and I was on a date and I think it was Valentine's Day. And we did, we, there's two levels and we sat upstairs and you know, things are going great and it's, it's a, it's a romantic place. It's a romantic night. Jack's got his mojo going on. Everything's good. After the meal, and it was crowded, so after the meal we get on the stairs to come down the uh the stairs to leave. And I somehow got in front of my date. You know, normally you let the lady go first, but somehow I was in front of her. So being Mr. Smooth, I reached back and took her hand, which was on the railing, and I held it. I put my hand over her hand on the railing as we came down the stairs. And when I turned to look at her, having done this very smooth, very romantic thing, I was looking into the eyes of the man behind me, whose hand I had actually covered with mine. And to his credit, or maybe to my credit, he let me hold his hand coming down the stairs. He had gotten in front of her as well. So I didn't look back. I thought it would be smoother. It seemed like more of a Cary Grant move, you know. If I didn't look back, I just reached back, took the hand. I was sure the hand behind me was that hand. Always check the hand before you hold the hand. I learned that night at Cappy's. So. Brown probably is like way smoother than me and wouldn't have done that. But yeah, I, I had his hand. I, you know, I'm glad I didn't like. I just held it. I didn't. I didn't do anything else. <laughs> I was sure it was her hand. His hand was very smooth, what can I tell you? It, it, there was no uh, I had no clue that it was the wrong hand. We had a laugh, we had a good laugh about it anyway. That's that's me in a nutshell if I'm if I'm nothing else, I'll be entertaining. Anyway, thanks to everybody that, call, that calls on the dish. Thanks to uh everybody that emailed and I uh, hope you have a wonderful weekend. Remember that you can get our show on demand, whole episode podcasts. KTSA.com, or just look for The Jack Cardi Show. Anywhere you get podcasts, see you Monday at 4.
0: Who's doing the job here? Yeah. I think, I as 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 think this is me. Donald Trump's fault.